one of the things I was wanted to do this morning, in light of we're getting ready for what I would call the Easter time season, is to focus on the next few weeks on exactly uh, what Easter is and what it really means. And uh, I thought it was interesting that today, which we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, we will go forward and then go backwards. Amen? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 25. We read this every time we have the Lord's Supper. And uh, I may take a couple of Sundays and just really kind of break it down so we have a better understanding. You know, too many times in our, in our, in our faith and in our uh, serving the Lord, we get used to certain things a certain way. And anytime something goes outside of that, we get like it's like it's the end of the world. You know, it's like well, we don't do, we don't do we haven't done it like that. Why is he doing it like that? Why is she doing it like that? Well, in the words of my good buddy H. Scott Latimer, change is good. <laughs> I know when I travel with him, uh, I'll, I tell him we're taking the straight and narrow path, brother. Not, we're not going the back way. We're not going through every little nook and cranny. If we're supposed to go up 71 to 270, just whatever, that's where we're doing. Oh, brother, you need to learn to change. Well, in, in light of what Easter Sunday is and what it really means, and even today, when we get ready in a few moments to celebrate the, the Lord's table, I want us to uh, appreciate this for what it is. A lot of us approach this first Sunday of every month, especially the Lord's Supper, there is something to be said for why the Lord instituted that. Amen? 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 23 through 25, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, and they had a whole lot of things going on in that church. And one of these days or years, we may get into a study of the, the Corinthian church, but one of the things he had to write them and correct them on is their approach to the Lord's Supper. They were coming, and they were really coming back then. They would not just have a little cups and little bread, but they would come with full-blown meals, of which the meal incorporated, incorporated into the meal was the uh, Lord's Supper itself. And some were coming just for the fact that they were going to get fed and their stomachs full. And Paul had to write them and tell them, there's more to this than just coming to eat. You have to understand, and he was telling them, what you need to understand is really what is actually taking place. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took also, in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. That is the institution, if you want to say, the institution of what the Lord's Supper really is all about. It has a four, there's a fourfold formula in it. There's the breaking of bread. There's the taking there's the giving of bread, I'm sorry, there's breaking of bread, there's the taking, there's the giving thanks, there's the breaking, and then also there is the giving back again. All that is wrapped up in, in those few verses there, because notice it says here, 
he said he took the cup, the new covenant is my blood, do this often you drink it. And we have some other scriptures we're going to share with you. Go to Luke 24, 30. If you have a Bible, I'll just write that down, and you can go back to it later. Luke 24, 30 says, when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and then gave it to them. That's Jesus when he was with his disciples right prior to his uh, going to court and being crucified and his resurrection. Luke 24, 30, Matthew 26, 26. Now, as, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. Amen? So that started then what we now have with Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So that was Luke 24, 30, Matthew 26, 26. The sharing of the cup, that's a part of the Lord's Supper. You see that in right here in verse 11, uh, verse 25 of chapter 11. He talks about he took the cup. This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The two components is the cup and the bread. The cup symbolizing Christ shed blood for our sins. I like the old song says, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the what? The blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood. When, when Christ shed his blood, now that he has shed his blood, when the Father looks at me, his blood now covers my sin. He no longer sees me. He sees the blood. And the blood symbolizes that the blood covers my sin. And if my sins is covered, now I can say there is therefore no more condemnation in Christ. Because now God the Father who hates sin can't stand sin. By rights I should be condemned. But, but what his son did for me. His blood was shed. And now the Father says, all right, your blood now covers their sin. It goes all the way back in the Old Testament, all those sacrifices and all that. I mean, you read the Old Testament, they were constantly shedding blood as a symbolic representation that ultimately there would come one who would shed his blood one time and for all, for all of mankind, and that was the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. And his shedding of the blood. So we take that cup. So this morning when you take that cup, realize that it represents, it is not the blood of Christ. It's the new covenant of his blood. In other words, there's, there's certain faiths and religions that believe that the blood, that the cup actually becomes the blood of Christ. Well, no, we're not cannibalistic. We're not talking about that the bread represents his actual body. It, it symbolically represents his body. His body was on the cross. He was battered. He was bruised. He was beaten. Why? He did it for you. And he did it for me. He paid what I could not pay. There is not a single person that's ever been born in the past. There's nobody that's born right now, and there's nobody that will be born that can pay the price of sin other than Jesus. The price for sin was Christ shed blood and his battered, bruised, broken body buried into a borrowed tomb. That's the price of redemption for man. And the good news is, not that we leave Christ in the grave for in a few weeks, we will celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. The good news is, even though he was in the borrowed tomb, guess what? He got up with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. 
And because he lives, I shall live also. If I said nothing more than that, that's enough that we should go out here shouting and screaming about God's greatness and goodness and his great love he has for us. He loved us so much that God sent his only son to die for wretched, filthy, no good. I mean, whatever adjective you want to throw in there, that's what man is. There is no good in man at all. There's, there was nothing in man that merited God doing anything. But God's love toward us was that he sent his son, and his son died for you. Now, I'm a firm believer that most of us, if we really be honest with ourselves, know how messed up we are. You know how bad you are. And guess what? In case you don't know how bad you are, pick up your copy of the Bible. Let the Word of God speak to you. It will show you how messed up you are. And I know some of us say, we, I ain't the pastor. I'm all, it, I, I mean, I may have a few little things that I know. When you even start thinking about you got a few little things, you already are messed up. You've got a whole lot of big things messed up. And even if you thought you had just a few little things, God would still tell you you are wretched and dirty and filthy and there's all of man's sin, all of man's righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. So you may be self-righteous, but in the eyes of God, your righteousness is as filthy rags. We have rags around here that we use to clean the church and ever so often. Certain ones have to take those rags and do what? Clean them. Guess what? God had to clean the rags in your life. And he did it through the son, his son, Jesus Christ. Unlike the rags we have here, we got to continually do that to only we say they are no good and we throw them away. Jesus washed our rags and cleanses us to not throw us away, but to redeem us and to pick us up. And what man thought was no good, God says there is a redeeming value in man. So when people look down on you, when people think you not, may not amount to anything, guess what? In Christ, you are worth something. Every single person in here today has value and worth for no other reason than that you're in the image of God. And if you've been saved today, you have a double worth because God did not die for nobodies. He died for everybody so that you might become a somebody in him. Amen? So you want to be somebody? Be somebody in Christ. The bread and the cup. Amen? So we share the cup. The themes of the, of the uh, Lord's Supper are, number one, the Passover. Amen? Go with, go with me to John chapter 11 and verse 50. I'll just write that down. Caliphus was speaking as Jesus was getting ready to be judged. And he says something interesting in that passage of Scripture. John eleven fifty. he says, he's speaking to the people there. He says, no, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man die for the people not that the whole nation should perish. Now, he's not a saved person. He's not understanding all this, but evidently there was something going on that he understood that this one man is now standing before me is not just dying for himself. He's also dying for a whole nation of people. Christ died for the whole world. There is access to salvation through Christ. Now, whether you do it or not is a whole other issue. The Bible says that we believe that whosoever will, what? Let him come. The invitation... Every Sunday in a lot of churches across the United States and across the world is, 
Jesus is standing before you as a door. You have the opportunity right now. If you would accept Christ, would like to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, come on down, come on forward, and we'll walk you through the plan of salvation and let you know that you know Christ and how Christ can save you from your sin. That invitation is open to everybody. But make no mistake, not everybody's going to be saved. Oh, no, no. Somebody says, well, wait a minute. That sounds like a contradiction. The invitation is there. That's true. You're saying not everybody will be saved? That is also true. Not everybody's going to be saved. If that's the case, what are we doing here? Why are we told to go out and give the good news? If everybody's going to be saved, we have a responsibility to share the news. Our problem is we want to know the results, and we want to know who we're sharing it to. God never told us that. He just said, go out and share the good news of the gospel. And guess what? Leave the results up to me. Some have planted, some have watered, but God is the one that gives the increase. There is nobody walking around in our neighborhoods and in our jobs that has the scarlet letter A on their chest or the S word on their forehead that says, I'm a sinner. We don't know that. Only God knows. It says only God knows our responsibility is to tell the gospel to whosoever will and whosoever we come to contact with. And if that person is not saved and you're sharing with them the gospel, then the Lord will work on their hearts by the Holy Spirit to cause them to understand that they are a sinner before God, condemned before God, and they need Jesus in their life. And if they ask you the question, so how do I get to this Jesus that you're talking about? You ought to be able to tell them where to go and what to do. First, you've got to confess your sins. You got to confess and repent of your sins. You got to admit with God that you are a sinner and that you deserve hell. That's first base. You can't come to God and say, well, you know, I'm not that bad, but I say I need no, no. You need to understand that before God, his holiness, you don't deserve anything but death and the grave. Then after that, you go, so, okay, then what? Now you need to recognize that there's a salvation plan for you. You can be saved not on your merit, but on the merit of a man called Jesus who lived over 2,000 years ago. He saw you, Byron, and because he saw you, he died for you. I got to tell you a story. Let me tell you this story. He was born. He lived. He did miracles. He did all that. But all along he was living, he was giving to man the plan of salvation because the Father said that man deserved hell and condemnation but the son said, I will go down and redeem. I will go down and buy man back to myself. Father, send me. You read through the Old Testament. There's not a, Abraham couldn't do it. Isaac couldn't do it. Jacob couldn't do it. David couldn't do it. Noah couldn't do it. All those people, all those men and women, none of them could pay the price of our salvation. In 42 generations, all of a sudden there's a man that appears on the scene by the name of Jesus. The Bible says his name is Jesus, where he will save his people from their what? Sin. You shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. That's the man I'm trying to talk to you about today. That's the man you need in your life. And I can tell you this, not because it's a theory in a, in a book, but because what he has done in my life personally the moment I accepted Christ, my life was totally and dramatically changed. And now it's about not living my life. It's about living the life of Christ in me. Now, you have the opportunity today, Byron, if you want to, to come to Christ and say, Lord, save me a sinner. 
cleanse me, fix my heart, fix my mind, and yes, Lord, I want to follow you. Do you accept the invitation? And you can say yes, or you can say no. And if you say yes, yes, you start this journey called the Christian life. Ups, downs, valleys, peaks, joys, excitements, and all, all of it. But the good news is you're saved from your sins. You're saved. To, one day you have a place already reserved for you in heaven. And you have somebody that in the midst of trials, Brother Dennis, in the midst of struggles, Brother Howard, you're able to know that you're not by yourself. Because I'm going to tell you something. I will disappoint you. Your wife will disappoint you. Your kids will disappoint you. The best friend that you think you have will disappoint you sometime in life. But one thing about Jesus, he's always there. We were talking about a Sunday school class. And the whole point of the lesson was that no matter what happens in our life, there is absolutely nothing that will ever separate us from God and will not separate us from the love of God. Paul fixed it when he says, neither height nor death nor this nor that. He named a whole bunch of things. Then he always said, there is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And Paul could talk about that because of all the things that he experienced. And I'm going to tell you something else. The truth of the matter is, some of us can say the same thing because some of us have been through some things. And if you're really honest and say before God, God brought you through. Amen? We were sitting there the other day, yesterday at Brother Tom's house, and for those men who are, are availing themselves to the opportunity of fellowshipping and, and learning more about the Bible, we had a great time yesterday. You need to avail yourselves to that. Amen? Yeah. I'm just going to put you on point. If you're not coming, if you can take that time out of your schedule, you will be blessed by that. And one of the things we, we were talking about yesterday was, look, everybody has a story. There's not a person here that does not have a story to tell. Somebody says, I got no story. Yes, you do. Your story doesn't have to be that I was on crack cocaine, I was on the streets, and I was a drug addict for 45 years, and blah, 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 blah. That may not be your story, but you have a story to tell. And your story is your story. But I like what Brother Tom said. You may have a story, but it's all about his story that we ought to be telling. So when we come for the Lord's Supper, all of that is incorporated right here today. The cup, the bread, the fact that Jesus talks about that the themes of the Lord's Supper deals with the Passover, how the Passover of our sins goes back to the Old Testament, talks about all the things that I just talked about, that all of that is manifested itself. When we come on the first Sunday of every month, it's just not that something we just do out of habit or out of rote. We ought to be thankful to God for what he has done for us. His blood, his body was shed, was broken for me. And we have this new covenant, which is talked about in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five, 25, that gives us a personal relationship with God and his risen son, and that our sins are forgiven. Amen? I don't come down, we're not going to celebrate this just to have our sins forgiven. Our sins have already been forgiven. But in the course of life, we may sin, and we just need to say, Lord, I so thank you for this opportunity that you said do this in remembrance of you. And I want to remember you by saying thank you for dying for me. Thank you that the things that I have done this past week, I can just say, Lord, forgive me. 
I had a wrong attitude to somebody. I talked about somebody. I talked about, about another brother and sister in Christ. Didn't say that they didn't lift them up. I tore them down. Forgive me, Lord, because you're not about that. If anybody could tear down, it would be him. Nobody knows you better than Jesus. But he ain't writing your story across the, the scenes of life. He keeps it to himself. So we have the Passover. We have this new covenant. We do it in remembrance of him. This is a constant reminder to the church that every time we celebrate this, we remember what Jesus has done. It's also about the thanksgiving and fellowship and the unity we ought to have as a church family. We're thankful for what God has done. It incorporates a sense of fellowship that we have one another. We do it as a church family. I don't tell you to take the cup of the bread and go to your own house. We do it as a family, as a time of sharing together. And hopefully, as we do it together, it brings us together in unity in the love of Christ. We also celebrate it because we anticipate the Lord's return. Amen? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 talks about that. And then Matthew 26 and verse 29 talks about it. Jesus said when he was with his disciples, do this, it remembers me. And he also talked about until the day I return again is the last time. This time, I'm not going to do it anymore until I come back into my Father's kingdom. And when we get to heaven, one thing that we get to do, we get to sit down with Jesus at the greatest supper ever to be thrown by anybody. Amen? I mean, that's got to be a humongous table with all the saints of old and new sitting past, present, and future, all of us around with Christ sitting on the throne, Christ sitting at the table with us to share in the greatness of who he is. Man! That ought to get you excited. I mean, you, you can get excited when you go to some places, you know, if you like Outback or whatever, you get to go there, you get to go to Marciano's or whatever, or whatever, and you go, man, I just can't. But to be with Jesus at the Supper of the Lamb, that's the ultimate. That's, that's what we're looking for. You know what I'm convinced of? I'm convinced that we Christians, including we're here today, young and old, don't mean nothing to you. Don't mean nothing to me. They have a laissez-faire about the things of Christ. Okay, pastor. They're sharing the Lord's Supper. Okay, whatever. You know, walk out. Well, whatever. Really? To what he did for us? That's all it means to us? Is, yeah, ain't that big a deal. We'll do it this week. Four more weeks, five more weeks, whatever, we'll do it again. And then we'll do it again. Big deal. It should be a big deal in light of what he did for us. So when we come to gather together, when we come to sit and share together, it's got eternal purpose, but it also has a present moment. There is something to be said about sitting with people that you like and love and sitting around at a table enjoying the fellowship. Now, I'll just be honest with you. If we that close, I'm not dying to go out to dinner with you. I ain't going to be sitting at a table strained. Amen? You say, that's terrible, Pastor. No, you're the same way. 
we gravitate, we go to, we be around people we love to be around with. Hopefully, the church of God in our family, in Second Cornerstone uh, Baptist Church, we're able to say we are a family. Hopefully, we, I hope we love each other enough that we want to be around one another. I hope we love another, each other enough that when it comes time to sharing, even at the Lord's table on the first Sunday of every month, that we are anticipating the opportunity to come together as a church family and celebrate what Christ has done for us. He died. He died that you and I might be here today. Amen? He said, do this, and we even have it on our little table. In remembrance, why? It's a reminder to us of what Jesus did on our behalf. Back in the old days, see, back in the day before we had cars, and even some of the, back in a few, few years ago, it wasn't about getting out of church so quickly. I remember the story when I was at Cedarville College, they were talking about some of the missionaries, and they were talking about the people in, in foreign countries like over in Africa or China and some other places, they stay church all day. And I know what you're saying already. Well, they ain't got nothing else to do. See how easy it is for us to cop out? You already thought of the excuse of why you didn't want, well, you're not even applying. You, you've already, in your mind, you will never stay all day. Am I right? Yeah. Amen. Some of us are right. Some of us say, I'm not staying all day, Pastor. You, the, the reason why they don't stay all day is because they have nothing else to do, Pastor. But they would walk miles. Listen, when you have to walk somewhere to get to it, you ain't so easy wanting to get up out of there. And when you get there, you, like, you're anticipating you haven't seen your friends. You haven't, I mean, they, they, they make it a, a, a whole day of Because they got at the end of the day, they got to what? Walk back home. I bet if we had to walk, we have mercy. We would be more appreciative. We would say, all right, we're going to sing some songs. We're going to hear some word. We're going to sing some songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We may even have a fellowship of some food. And then we're going to sing some more songs and we're going to hear some more. Man, we just make a whole day of it. Because that might be the only time we get an opportunity because during the rest of the week, we may not be able to get back. Part of this is baptism is a one-time affair. You're baptized once. Lord's Supper is a continual thing. You know why? Because you have to eat more than once. You have to fellowship more than once. You got to be fed more than once. So the analogy is baptism is one, but Lord's Supper is a continual remembrance of, and we need to come around the bread and the cup. Because back then, meals were important. And all I'm telling tell us today is, let's not take for granted the opportunities that we have today. Don't look at it as the first Sunday of the month and let's get this over with, but really reflect on the goodness and graciousness of God. And say, Lord, when I look at my cup, and it may not be full, it may not be so full, it's great juice, but what does it really mean? I think about your blood. That little piece of bread, that represents your body for me? That you died for me? I have a hard time dealing to my own self, let alone thinking about you died for me. Amen? 
things we talk about in Sunday school. We not have to realize we're to die to ourselves. That's part of Christian life. Dying to what you think you need and what you think you want and letting the Lord say, this is the direction I want you to go. And you can do all of that when you come down. Because we're going to read a few moments here where Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote this whole passage. And I don't know if you really listened to the words that he said. Amen? I want you to listen to this as we're going to get ready to do the Lord's Supper. Listen to what Paul says. Read this every Sunday, every first Sunday, but listen to what he's, what he's saying. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, what do we do? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. None of us are worthy, but he says if your attitude is in an, un, in an unworthy manner, amen? Whoever eats this bread drinks in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let each one of us, a person, examine himself. Then, so if you eat the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks, Judgment on himself. If you come and you know, know that you're not right with somebody. Before you eat and before you drink, you have an obligation to get that right. Amen? Don't take it and say, well, I'll do that tomorrow. No. There's somebody here that you have something, something against or whatever. You need to get up out of your seat. Go and perform Matthew Christmas of Matthew, one to one, two to three, or the whole church, however you want to do it. But you need to do that before you eat and drink. Otherwise, you drink judgment on yourself. He says, you know why there are some among you who are weak and ill, and some have died? Because they took it in an unworthy man. They didn't do right. People were dying. People were getting sick. People were ill because they did, their attitude wasn't right. But if we judge ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined. So we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. It's all about the mindset of why we come. Hopefully our mindset is in the right way before we even drink and eat. Amen? There's a lot to this ordinance. It's more than what, we, what many of us think. And especially the Baptist church is really important. We only have two things that we do, baptize and Lord's Supper. Father, thank you. We get ready to share in the Lord's table. Oh, Father, I thank you. Personally, I thank you for how you left this on record for us that we might never, ever forget what this means 
and should mean to us. As we celebrate this ordinance, thank you. Help us not take it lightly, nor take it for granted. We thank you for your great gift given to us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for sinners such as each one of us. Thank you that there is salvation in no other name, no other person but Jesus. And when we look at our own selves, we weigh ourselves in the balances of who you are. Many of us would have to confess, if not all, we've been weighed and we have come up so wanting, so lacking, that we thank you that you don't hold that against us, that your great love is. You afford us the opportunity of trying to do better by you. You've given us the Spirit of God. You've given us the Word of God. And in those two things, we can be strengthened to do great and mighty things in your name. Put a burden on all of our hearts and press upon our minds the need to live for you each and every day. Put a burden on our heart that the need of the gospel to a world that we are inundated by and surrounded by. We need to be those lights. We need to be that city. We need to be that well of living water that can share to a world that denies who you are. doesn't want to have anything to do with the things of God. We can tell them there's a better way of living. And that way is in Christ Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.